Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Kearns and today we've got with us Christian Ribeiro. Hi Chris. Hi there Michelle, you okay? Great, thank you. It's great to have you on and um, yeah I saw you speak a couple of months ago now at a local networking meeting over in Manchester and uh, I you know found your story really inspiring and quite um, you know quite unique really uh, in what you you know how you've kind of come to be in the property world it's not one that uh, is very common that's for sure yeah so um, I'll let you explain and uh, I don't want to kind of steal a thunder but um, yeah how did how did you get into property then Oh, I appreciate that. Well, that's my first ever talk I've done as well. So that was just a one-off. So hopefully I'll do a few next year. But yeah, I, I did uh, waffle on a little bit. So I do apologise for that. You'll have to do it all again with me now. But um, yeah, so basically I'm retired footballer now. So um, I came through at Bristol City's Academy, God, yeah, from the age of nine to 22, I was there and then played for numerous years after that. But I was forced to retire at the age of 27. So I, I did a, my ACL and cartilage in my knee at my debut at 18 when I was at Bristol. And I played for 10 more years in the Football League, but my knee was deteriorating basically over those years. So I was constantly on painkillers. I was, I was wearing away my cartilage until finally I had no cartilage left in my knee and I was forced to retire. And my last club was at Oxford United in League One. So I, I still did okay. I played close to a couple hundred games in the Football League and a couple of times for Wales, but I never really sort of achieved my goals in football playing with that. And this, that's quite a normal story in the footballing world. I think I was looking at some stats the other day and I think the average length of, um, of career in the football, in footballing world is eight years. So I managed to beat that. So it, it, is, um, it, it is a short-lived one, but yeah, I was retired officially by 27. And um, it just so happened, I mean, I will go into my story a little bit of why property is such, but... In that time, I was doing. A, I wasn't earning crazy monies in the football league like some of the guys in the Premier League and top of Championship were, but I was plugging bits away into property, mainly on the premise that you know your family would say, "Oh, having a property is a good idea. It's a solid idea for your pension plan." And that's just how it started, which is what I imagine a lot of people have the same mentality: is just, well, if you've got a little bit of money that you've done well enough to save, well, I'll just park it somewhere and, and do it that way. That's kind of the the very you know basic vanilla starting way to do it. And that's what I did while I was playing. And I quietly, as I knew my knee was deteriorating so quickly, I realised I wasn't going to play till I was in my early 30s. And, and it could be that in the late 20s I had to retire. So I started to look into property as an avenue because I did enjoy it. I did enjoy studying it and it made me a few pounds before. So that's how I got into it. And I quietly then became known in my little changing room in the footballing world a little bit as a bit of the go-to guy for just basic property knowledge at that point. And um, that's when I retired at 27. It was, you know, that's what the world, I want to 
do something for my players, but something around property. And I thought, well, can I create a service where I do all the work for them and build their pension pots in property? Because nobody did it for me. And I went through that scenario of retiring young uh, and to lose your job, lose that opportunity of decent income from footballers because you have to start at the bottom of the ladder all over again. I had a long-term partner at the time that broke up. So I went through all of that, that sort of a typical sort of transition, I guess, into the real world that footballers go through. And um, I thought, well, I can help. I can help people like me. And that's how it started from just a small group. And it just quietly grew from there. So it must have been quite a shock to the system, really, um, because obviously, you know, entering kind of the football world, completely different world to the property. So you're you're going into the football world and you've got high hopes of, um, you know, of of kind of continuing as long as you can. And what how how old were you when you kind of knew about your knee that? you were going to you know your career in the football world was going to be limited yeah well I did my on my debut at 18 I was out for a year after that and I remember when I came back even at that age 18 19 that I wasn't the same player even then because oh. I was all about athleticism really and as soon as I did money I was I wasn't the same I couldn't I wasn't as agile I couldn't twist because my cartilage I'd lost a chunk of that and um, so even then at that young age I knew oh, well, I'm not going to be the player I could have been but then it came to the sort of the early 20s when I realized how much pain I was playing in. And I was just surviving day by day, really, to get through training. I, I taught pretty much every muscle, but I, I was loads of injuries in my career. So I had plenty of time in the early 20s, I guess, to bless them the curse, to think about right. what I do after football, really. As I, I do feel sorry for the guys who just have a one-off incident, incident in their mid-20s. They might break a leg in a tackle, so they're not prepared for it. They were flying high and suddenly it's gone. And, and I always bring up the topics. So I think people forget that for professional sportsmen, you spend all your life being an expert in your field, whether you play premiership or league two, and you're still in a tiny minority that get to the, the, the top mm-hmm. level. But when you stop, that's it. You can't ever use that skill set again. Mm-hmm. In, in most other jobs, if you lose your job, well, you just move to another business doing something similar. Whereas in professional sport, that is it. You, you Apart from, you could argue coaching, but coaching is another new skill set and it has nowhere near the earnings capabilities of or security that football or professional sport can have so you really do start from scratch again elsewhere and that's quite a daunting prospect when you're in your mid-20s or early 30s you literally have to start a new life again and it sounds um, like um, it sounds like you were forced to do it I guess some some people might say the more sensible route of um you know of building up the property income on the side whilst you were kind of you know, uh, exiting the, you know, your career. Yeah, um, sure. And I think property, the reason I think property is so good for footballers is you don't need to rely on the income whilst you're playing you know, football. You know, that's, it's, that's, if we all had that luxury, you know, that'd be perfect for property. You don't rely on the income, let that build, keep reinvesting until there is a time where you want some of that equity or some of that cash flow. I think that's an amazing position to be in. I think that's when property works at its best, really, is when you have something else bringing in good, good amounts of money, whether that be a job or a business or whatever, that you can then just keep plugging it away into assets over time and solid areas, knowing you're playing the long game. But property is a long game, really. I think it's really hard to make property in the short, short term. It's really, really hands-on and difficult. But um, that's why I think property works so well for players that they can plug monies away when they're in their early 20s, mid-20s and have five, 10, maybe 15, if they're really lucky, years of compounding and growth. And by the time they retire, they can have a really sizable portfolio or a really lowly geared portfolio by just being smart and even just doing just the basics. They can be in a really good position 
but you have to make those decisions early. And when you're playing footy, it's really hard to do it on your own as well. Because I know from doing it myself and why my friends never bought properties or, or did one in 10 years or whatever. It's because you don't have the time or inclination. So you do need a helping hand with it as well. Yeah. So you've kind of learned it from scratch yourself, you know, how to how to build a portfolio. So did you just go with single lets or did you kind of experiment and do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just from the base, it was just single. Lets, cause I think single lets are just sort of the bedrock of most people's portfolio. They're, you know, they, they, there's so many reasons I'm big on them. That, but, that, you know, the basics of there's loads of stock for them. There's loads of demand. There's loads of finance availability for them. There's all, you know, there's we're in an island. We've got a shortage of homes. So you've got there's a lot of typical things you always hear is really strong for single lets and it just then depends what your goals are and first using our, our clients example as footballers well they're trying to build pots of equity over the next 5 10 15 years for their retirement and some steady cash flow in it whilst also being as passive as possible because they're all their time is trying to be the best player they can be and have the best career they can be because the honest truth is they'll make the most money in football than they will in property, realistically. If they can go up a league, get a better contract, they'll make more money in football. They're better off being as good as possible in their day job. But then every time they do get lucky enough to have 40, 50, 100 grand, 200 grand, a million pounds, whatever it may be, that they plug it away in assets. And I think the single let model for the players is sort of fits them perfectly. I'm not saying they can't do other stuff, but just their, their experience, the time they can put in, whatever it, I think that works really well for them. And that's what I did. You know, simple single let stuff. When I started, I was in Bristol and it was really, really basic. I was 19. I was fortunate enough to buy my first apartment. And I, I looked at Bristol. This was 2008, 2009. So the market was sort of at a bit of a low at that point. And it was a really basic idea. Of, well, I'm in the middle of a really great city. I'm sure if I buy this, this is just a pension pot. You know, in 15 years when I retire, hopefully I'll have a bit of income from it and a bit of capital growth. And, and it served me pretty well. And I did that again. And I bought some others later on. But I did dabble later in some small HMO stuff. And that was my first learning into it. If you're not going to do it properly, or if you think it's easy, it quickly falls down. And that was a good lesson for me where I bought some small stuff um, through other people I won't mention. And that, and um, it didn't go so well after sort of six months. So I turned it back into single lets. They're only small, like three, four bed houses. And um so that, that's always been the bedrock for me has been single lets, and that's what we've done for our players. Now, now we just have scaled that into larger and larger refurbs or more volume in apartment buildings or portfolios. But, uh, but yeah, we, we're definitely pro on the single lets model. Yeah, it certainly ticks a lot of the boxes that, as you said there, if they're not looking for the cash flow right now, they don't need the high kind of cash flow from service accommodation or, or HMOs and they can park the money and then it's long-term cash flow and long-term assets. That makes makes a lot of sense and uh, provides a very simple business model for you, I guess. For um... Yeah, well, that's it. I think it's um, it, it depends what everyone's goals are. But for, for footballers, there's a specific kind. That's It's their time, really. That's, it's just impossible to, for them to learn how to develop or source or manage something like a HMO, that's really difficult. It's really difficult for someone doing it full time now in, in this market and demand. So it's just not feasible really for players to do that. And, and I don't think they even want to as such. They, they, it's almost that they see property as just a vehicle for them to create some long-term wealth and also hopefully some income where it can pay for their mortgage. You know, if they can have a few bites, let's that brings them in a few quid that they can have their mortgage covered every month or or their car, you know, on a lease or whatever it may be. And that sort of the single let strategy gives that to them over time as passively as possible. And also it's the exits as well, isn't it? That's why I really like the single lets where at the end, if somebody 
like stuff we do. They might buy one a year, two a year for 10 years. Well, they could sell one a year if they really want, or if they don't want. That's quite an easy exit, is when you have some of these investment-style properties, you're only selling to investors, and that's a whole new world when you're selling into that market. And True. for someone who's a very passive investor, that's um, they don't want, they're not interested in that, to be perfectly honest. They're just more, they see that the houses sounds a bit you know, callous myself, but as boxes with numbers on it, it's just like a bank account that's high returning for them. And they just want to, every time they get that pot of money, plug it away, focus on the football, and hopefully by the time they're in their late 20s, early 30s, late 30s, they can have something to sit back on. Well, um, how, how do you see things have changed? Because obviously you've been doing this for quite a long time with one strategy. So um, how does working with single lets now, has that changed much since you know you first started yeah well we've been going about four or five years now and i think we've done just over 60 projects and some of these newer ones are our multiple units in a uh, block but i've only counted those as one so we've sort of scaled up into large and larger things but when we started you know we're based in south manchester so all our properties are greater manchester so that's a really hot market really competitive so that's the reason we're focused up here there's a lot of fundamentals why i think manchester's a, a great place to be but yeah when we started it there definitely was less competition than there is today and we've seen yeah. that change over the last few years and i think we've gone through a period where um you've to find something where i consider there being a decent discount or ability to add value, we've had to go for particularly heavy refurbishments on simple stock because that's where there was you know 80 percent of people didn't want to have to deal with a full back to brick refurb or you know a sort of 20 30 40 grand refurb a lot of people go whoa i won't do that but someone would go and do a property that just needs carpets or whatever so you found that I guess sort of un, in our area, we're talking sort of under 180 grand, 100 to 180 grand single let type stock has been so in demand for the last few years that it's been really hard to make things work. What I consider make things work to be worthwhile enough. So we've had to take on a lot of refurbs. So all our projects really have been heavy refurbs. We buy quickly with cash a lot of the time, whether that's uh, players' funds, our funds, private funds. We do lots of refurbishments and then we remortgage out and pull some monies back. And that's a model that we often do. And then sometimes we get some stuff where it's we, we do have a letting agency as well. So we buy stuff that are tenanted that could be, you know, tenants are on lower rents than they should be or an owner's distant. So sometimes we pick up some stock that's just discounted for a number of reasons. But you've always got to try and find an angle really why there's a bit of a discount or there's a way to reconfigure add value refurbishments but you've definitely in the last couple of years almost had to refurb things to create value because everything's been so expensive and i think we're probably going to move into more of a world well i'm seeing it already where you can offer it a discount and potentially get it and it's just then can you get it at the right return for what you're looking for so everyone's got a different margin haven't they if you if you were expecting to buy something spend 30 grand and pull all your money out on a single let well those days are probably gone or you're going to get one every couple of years in that sort of property so that's very much about expectations but if as an example for players they're looking for something where they can plug their money away yes they might get a few hundred quid in a cash flow but they're already earning good money that's not their you know that's not the real reason they're buying that property they're buying it because they're hoping that over the next 10 years they're going to have some good exposure to capital gains and i think over the last 20 years, I think the average in the country is something like five and a half percent growth. And the average in Manchester is something like six and a half, six. So, and that's included great financial crash. We've had all the things we've had in the last 20 years. So if you could have five, six percent growth with using some leverage and mortgages, you can have a really good return over the longer term. But that depends on everyone's mindset of what they consider is good and your time scales. But players have the longer term mindset. So they're quite 
happy to go into something quite passive, hopefully get a nice discount in the, on the way in, which is what we help with, and be in an area with great fundamentals like somewhere like we are Manchester and South Manchester. And they just want to accumulate, accumulate over time. And they're fortunate enough where they earn in another job enough to buy one, two, three, four year but they need someone to help them do that. And, and all the, the difficulties of, you know, being a landlord, buying stuff, managing it, maintaining it. That's where we come into it, really. Right. And you said there about expectations. And typically when I speak to sources, they are working uh, with directly with investors <clears throat> who have got very high expectations of what they consider a deal is. Um, I did interview someone a few weeks ago and Shiv, and he deals with sort of more passive um, you know um, investors that aren't looking for the kind of crazy uh, oh. ideas. it's just kind of like like this parking money but how does it work with footballers who they don't necessarily understand what is possible through creative ways of of adding value um, do you set the kind of return and say you know this is really like realistic um, or do you find that actually they you know they want like quite a good return for them yeah well I, I guess it's all everyone i have had different conversations with them, but generally to be honest over the last few years we've always done refurbishment projects to try and increase returns and we've had some that have done phenomenally well and some that have had a little uplift but nothing to shout about you know it might be some have had you know 40 50 60 grand uplifts from the work from it's often things that you bought sort of pre-covid or, or during covid suddenly you had and in, uh, an increase from doing a nice refurbishment, but also the market went up another five, 10% in the year. So suddenly some, we had probably a year or so of projects that did phenomenally well and had extra tens of thousands of equity on them. But then other ones that have just been from spending 20, 30, they added 20 or so, which is great. But they just saw, from the player's side, to be honest, they are very easy going where even 20 grand doesn't make a huge difference to their life. They're not looking for that money today. This is all building up their pot for when they're 32, 34, 36. So yes, we have players. There is certain returns that we have that we try to hit, whether that's an equity gain or, or um, cash on cash return as such. But they're also buying into the idea of being in the right area, the fundamentals of why they're in it for a long term. Because I see property as a long term game. And yes, with the projects we do, we're trying to squeeze some percentages to get the best out today. But I don't think there's any getting away from that property the time does the heavy lifting in property trying to make money in six months it's difficult isn't it it is difficult yeah. it can be done but it's really hard and the, the the idea of no i'm buying to sit on it for five years 10 years 15 years then it opens you up to okay well i want to be in a really good area i want to have good schools nearby good um good um, employment in that area good um regeneration etc etc so hence why i moved all the way up the country and parked myself in manchester and built a business up here and that, that's worked so well so far yeah, most people are looking to get out the day job, aren't they? But I guess that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, well, and that is a challenge, isn't it? Because if, you, if you're if you trying to replace, as an example, two, three thousand pounds as fast as possible, then single lets in this model isn't the quickest way to do it. It won't be. You, But that depends what you're trying to, you know, yeah. do, isn't it? And, and like anything, if you want a higher return in the short term, you normally have to put in more legwork or take on more risk yeah. as a general concept. So. Yeah, yeah. That's over to you, but our, our clients as players, they don't want either of those things, really. They want relatively low risk or low to medium, but then they don't want to put any time in whatsoever. I mean, our guys don't lift a finger. You know, they basically sign some documents and that's it. You know, a lot, they'll never see the properties. I'm the very few of them ever wanted to see them. They're not interested. It's just for them. It's like, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's like another bank account that they know is handled elsewhere. 
and because um, property needs to be handled by some someone you know all the time to make to make sure it performs optimally all the time and that it's there for when they're retiring that's how they see it so that, that's what we built our model for and our service is to be as handheld as possible so our players have everything covered from the legals from you know creating a company at the start to sourcing a property taking them through that when we buy it we have all the build teams because we're always on five to eight sites at a time sometimes we're on more than that and they we manage all the refurbishment and then we've also got a letting agency which is it's not mine it's my business partners it's a bit like a sister company that manages them so it's kind of everything that could be as handheld as possible so as i mentioned the players just sign documents pay some invoices and their portfolio we can grow it all from that well it sounds like you're adding a lot of value there for them they're getting a pretty good deal um for the whole service and i guess i'm thinking well you know go into the effort of doing that full refurbishment to be able to pull money out and possibly recycle a lot of it um seems like a really good deal for them do you have to educate them so that they can see the value that you know that you're providing I'm, I'm thinking in my head well why don't you just go about and buy one that's sort of off the shelf it's not as you know as much return but if that's not their priority then why kind yeah, of make well, it think, cases? <laughs> yeah well I think what we'll probably we haven't we've almost done it the hard way to be honest Michelle we've yeah. done it really hard but that's because one I'm really proud of what we've done and we, we, we genuinely care because these guys are my community they're my friends or friends yeah. of friends so I've always wanted to do as best as possible for them but I think in the next year we'll probably bring out because we want to, there's only so many people you can help with that model as well because there's only so many projects you can do especially yeah. that scale I mean as I mentioned we've done like 60 odd now in the last couple of years and several of those now are like blocks of three four one of 14 stuff like that so there's only so much you can handle at one time you know with a small team there's only me Jay Claire RPA and there's some more people hopefully that are joining the new year so I think we're to try and help more people, we will start bringing on more of a product saying, look, if you want to buy to let that's maybe discounted, but it's pretty you know, straightforward. We might touch it up a little bit, but it's not going to be back to brick refurbs all the time. We can start to help people that way, but we haven't really done that so far. But I think we're going to start bringing that in next year to help more friends uh, in that side. And then we'll continue doing the other bits as well for mm. players. And we also have our side that we do for ourselves of the heavy refurbs and flips and whatnot. So there'll be a few arms to the business there. And I think that's where we want to take it. But you almost have to work. I think like with anything, you have to earn your stripes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It takes, we, you know, it's taken us four years to get to the stage of doing this sort of volume. But now in this area, I'd like to think we're quite well known with the agents or with contractors or whatever. And it, Sometimes you, you have to earn your stripes, sort of take over your area a little bit, and then you can start to branch off into other things. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're doing so many refurbishments at the same time. Um, what systems have you got in place to manage that? And how do you work with so many different contractors? Or is it one contract that one contract that goes between projects? Yeah, well, that's been a big learning curve. Right? That fact, that's been our biggest problem, especially in the last year or so, where I'm sure for everyone, it's probably been the hardest time ever, hasn't it, to get good contractors, yep. get things to live on time within budget, or just to make things stack enough because of the cost of refurbishments and whatnot. So I, I do give ourselves a little bit of um, slack, I guess, for that. But it has been really tough. We found in sort of the mid to late 2021, we had a massive influx of projects come in. And we started then doing sort of 12, 14 at a time, which was a big step up for us when we were doing five at a time, six at yeah. a time. Suddenly we started doing 10, 12, 14, and they were all 
relatively big refurbs. We're talking, you know, 30, 40 grand jobs on single lets as an example. So we struggled where we had, we, we've got about four or five build teams that can do, and they're varying of size. Some do one at a time, some do two or three at a time, some can do five or six at a time. But at one point we only had two or three build teams and two of them were more one or two at a time. The other one was sort of picking up everything else. But you quickly find that they couldn't pick up everything else. You know, they were good on sort of three to five, but when you give them eight or ten, things are going to slow down and you're going to have problems. And we definitely struggled with that at a large parts in the last sort of 18 months. And that was a big learning curve for us. We, we grew too quickly and we've had to then reach out. I think during last year, it has calmed in the second half last year. We found a couple of other really good build teams who have the capability of doing numerous jobs. And now we're growing that. So now we've got more like five or six build teams that can handle three or four each as an example. And over time, as you scale up, you need different types of builders, don't you? It's like anyone, if you're doing one at a time, there are guys that will do it relatively cheap. That, and I have four or five lads and they'll do a buy to the house in a good time. But then when you need them to do three at a time, they can't do it. And you do pay for that. But then you also, you, it's just, you have to have stringent procedures to find the right ones. And then you just test them on one. And I guess the beauty of our business is we know from doing all these refurbs, we've got all this uh, design sheet, all the specs, so everything's pretty set up for them. And then we'll test them on one. Once they pass our sort of stringent mm -hmm. test, we'll give them one and we'll closely monitor. If they do that well, right, there's one waiting for you when you finish. And that's that's been good in our model that they want to work with us because we always pay on time. We've always got run funds there, but we are stringent. We check it every week what we're paying for. And then they they learn to work with us. We learn to work with them. And then you, you sort of weed out the ones that, you know, you don't want to work with. They're not professional. But then you find the good ones, but it's not an exact science. You do just have to work <laughs> with them it's it's a huge challenge in the property world that your business can be reliant on on contractors it really is isn't it so it really it's is, just yeah. one thing it's a constant um side of the business you're working on it's never perfect that's never perfect it's just you're always monitoring it always having to work through problems and find solutions but that's normal for all property that's people. what we get paid for right yeah yeah absolutely and how do you you know what what kind of stands out for you when working with the contractors now obviously you've kind of had uh you know a couple of years but they've been pretty intense where you've been working with lots of different mm. contractors so for people starting out what advice would you give them to how, how to pick a good contract well the first thing is just communication is so key so everything comes down to communication in so many sides of business but especially contractors because no one can read each other's mind and you what you may think is obvious of how they're going to do something they're doing something completely different and often i think people underestimate how many things are going through a contractor's mind at one time? They've got so many things they're sorting on just one job, and they likely have numerous other jobs they're quoting for, snagging, finishing up, and all the rest of it. So communication is a big thing. So it's all about preparation, all about preparation of exactly what you want. And um, it, it could be down to the things like where to plug sockets going to go in a room. Literally write it on the wall and say it so there's no ambiguity about it. And, We've learned the hard way on that, where I come to snagging and the door's opening the wrong way or something, or the light switch is on the wrong side. And you think, just such basics over time, you have to make those mistakes sometimes to learn, if only I'd have just put a you know, uh, post-it note on the side and said, please put it there. It, it would have been fine now, it's going to cost X amount to sort it, or a delay of X amount of time to do it. But I think you just got to be as prepared as possible. And then as for finding contractors, I mean, it's the usual things about recommendations and whatnot, but you know, I, 
we're lucky we've been lucky that because we had the letting agency from the start we always had we already had a gang of contracts who were doing work in the letting so we knew who was reliable who was good who was expensive who was cheap etc and from there you sort of cherry pick them and over time through meeting other people through doing something you do just see people who are working nearby you go and speak to them and quietly you you drip feed them in but I, I do a feel for lots of people who started in the last 18 months because it must have been hell getting new contractors in waiting six months a year you know because people have had uh, pipelines that are big but i think that's changing now and i think as the demands subsides i've noticed that contractors are looking for more work and and some are calling back asking is that project still coming so i think it's going to get easier for that but then we have other challenges to deal with don't we yeah, absolutely. Just all cycles. Yeah, um, we're recording this in December uh, 2022. And you've mentioned there about it's easing up on the contractor side. There's a bit more capacity for them. Uh, how about materials? As Are you seeing change in the, in well, the prices? I think not so much. For me personally, the stuff we're doing, I haven't seen anything that said, oh, things are getting cheaper, really, or that much easier. It's been pretty constant all year where it's just been really expensive to do most things, pretty much. I think maybe easing a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly in the short, in the sort of, I, I consider the short of the next six months. I'd like to think that the sort of demand will drop off a bit where there isn't so many home improvements going on all the time. So people's labor costs might trickle down a little bit as there's more competition for work which hasn't been there at all has it over the last couple of years so there might be a bit of a reduction but you know there's still a lot of things going on in the world where i'm not necessarily sure that the supply of you know materials is going to dramatically increase therefore reducing costs i I'm, i don't have the information to tell you that i'm hoping that it does dampen a little bit but i think it's got a little bit more time to play out that one yeah i think so too and what about on the other end so uh, when you're valuing the properties um how how what's your feeling about that end gdv you know what's going to be worth at the end with yeah. the market as it is well, now the good i guess one of the good things in our business is because you're doing a decent amount of volume i'm constantly getting updates of what surveyors value in something at what's gone well what's not and so I'm, yeah. I'm normally quite glued into what's happening in the market and what i'm seeing at the minute was the last two years i've been able to pretty much stretch an extra 10 grand on a property whatever and it would come in and just out of nothing i'll just create an extra five ten grand for just asking for it as i think now it'll just get tighter and tighter ironically the way surveyors value properties is on the data of what's sold so it's normally six months behind which is the, the hottest part of the market we've had so bizarrely whilst everyone is getting more negative on the, the the future values maybe we are going to see a slump that the data they're working off is from the highest you know they've ever had so you might find that that elongates a little bit further where a two-bed terrace in your area might have been selling for 160 once well they were selling for 170 a year ago but you might think they'll be 150 in six months time the surveyor is going to go off the data but i think you just have to be like what i do at the minute i think if you're budgeting be cautious at the minute because if we do see a lot because demand is dropping from interest rates, I think you're already seeing a sort of 5% to 10% reduction in what people are just willing to pay. So while people talk about this price drop as a big scared thing, I actually, when you speak to agents, it's almost already happened because in our area of Manchester, if you had 150 grand two-bed terrace as an example, they'd put that up and say to the owner, they'll probably go for 155, 160, accept that and you'll be happy. Now they'll put the same property on for the same price but if one four five comes in, they say you should take that. It's a, it's a decent offer. So that sort of five to ten percent is already happening. It's not dramatically changing yeah. anything, 
but I think it's already going on. You're just not seeing all the data yet. But in the next three to six months, you'll start to see it and you'll start to see that dampening happen. And um, I know it will vary in price bandings as well, but talking about the buy-to-let stock, which is sub 200K stock, in, I'm talking Manchester now, but um, yeah, you're just going to start to see that sort of drip feed down over the next three to six months. But but it's still, honestly, there's still really good demand. You speak to all agents, they're still really busy. Things are still going. So I guess it's area related as well. True, true. And how do you find working with private finance? Because I think one thing uh, you mentioned when I saw you speak was about, you know, we, I think it was a couple of months ago now. So when the mortgage rates just shot up um, really quickly. So um What's your feeling on, you know, mortgage interest rates versus private finance? Yeah, well, from the private finance, we've been very fortunate. And it's been, it's been a bit of our detriment, I guess, is that we built a business over the last words pretty much on our phones because we had great contacts from the football inside and contacts from um, family, friends, business owners, colleagues that had large funds. So we've always raised private finance with no problem. I think we've raised four to five million quid over the last few years over a number of projects that were you know could be a hundred grand at the time yeah. our, our biggest one was about a million quid odd and that was we managed to do that in i think it was like nine days we raised a million quid so we've been fortunate enough by having good contacts and because we've done a lot of projects we've always paid people back they've always made that you know we've always been super secure people trust us and as an example in that that million quid one i think the largest lender in that was something like 700 grand but he'd already lent to us Oh, I'm sorry, 10 different other projects that were circa 100 to 200k each one and always had his money back so for him it was oh no that's fine I've got the funds there it's the same cyber project just on scale I'm happy to lend it and he's, he's actually got paid back this week you know the most interest we've ever paid back so I think there's lots of money out there and it's I think there's always great opportunities to raise private funds the reason I think property is so powerful for that is because they can lend against the asset so if you're buying relatively well it's not even on you as if you're raising money on a business, that's a risky investment because they're, they're relying on you to keep that business going. In property, they're just going to take the assets. So they're, they're very secure. They can have a first charge, a personal guarantee, et cetera. That's an amazing way to be able to scale up your business and raise funds. That's a, that's a huge plus in property. I think private funds is, is massive in the sort of, the, the sort of projects we're talking about where we're buying stuff that's unmortgageable or needs heavy refurbishment or needs to be purchased quick or has a legal issue all these reasons why they may be um need to be purchased outside of a mortgage private finance we always use private rather than bridging to be honest because we're fortunate enough to do that but bridging's the same concept it's just it's yeah. a little bit more difficult to dealing with a you know a bank again and you have to jump through more hoops as such but they're, they're absolutely tools you need to use if you want to grow a portfolio quicker and add value if you got mortgages fine standard stuff but the challenge most people have now is with stress testing, although that is calming. We did see for a period, stress testing was at 8%. You know, that was incredible. So pretty much for six weeks, nothing transacted, you know, because you just couldn't get a mortgage on anything. And I think now you are seeing that calm into sort of the mid fives again, so things will move. But I think logically, you just got to think, if interest rates are up, everyone's cash flow is going to get hurt. From it. There's, no, there's no getting away from that. So you have to understand that, you, you know, like I keep coming back to, property is a long-term game. I think you make more money, you can prove, I can prove it, in capital gains than you will in your rent roll ever, for sure. But you've just got to be able to make sure that you're in the right price banding to be able to, one, raise a mortgage properly or get rents up. Because what we're seeing in Manchester is rents have just gone absolutely crazy and, and likely will continue to as more people leave the sector. 
and mortgage rates going, it means a lot of landlords will need to raise their rents just to break even is a lot of the time. And so there's, there's, it's, I've never been in a business like this where there's so many spinning plates at the same, there's so many changes, isn't there, all at the same oh, time. Yeah. It's, um, it's been an absolute crazy year or two, but within that, there's some really good opportunities as well. There is, yeah, absolutely. And you've got to place your strengths and play the cards you dealt with as well. So if you've got the opportunity to work with our private finance, why wouldn't you? It's, you know, generally speaking, it is more straightforward than going through, you know, banks or um, yeah, absolutely. finance, lending finance. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and do you find that if the interest rates are looking like they're around five or six percent, actually, would their footballers leave the cash in and not bother getting a mortgage? Because, well, if they refinance at five percent they've got to find something else to put it in like straight away yeah potentially i mean there is an interesting conversation that's it's very a recent conversation in sort of the last couple of months that that's the option because i guess now it's like you mentioned it's like well you can get five six percent by being your own bank you know yeah, exactly. like, well, what would you give it <laughs> yeah. to someone else so i guess it's it comes down then to what pot of money do you have do you need some of those funds back to buy your next property that's yeah. totally individual but yeah i mean it the, I've had different scenarios where some players are happy to just leave money, and now they're loan to value on properties we bought for them three, four years ago. They're loan to value probably at fifty percent now, forty percent on something where they've had such they had it discounted back then, and now it's done so well. But um, they're very relaxed. They don't see necessary that remortgaging is part of their plan. Their idea <laughs> is well, if that can be at thirty percent loan to value by the time I retire, I'll refinance then. Thank you very yeah. much. And I'll, I'll have fifty grand, hundred grand, two hundred grand. That I can put in, you know, and live off for a period of time, or pay something else off, or, or sell whatever it may be. So it's very much down to, um, yeah, your what you're looking for, what you what's possible. So, I mean, the players, everyone's a bit different. That ranges from the Premiership guys who've got to Championship and League One. Everyone's a little bit different. But if you have the luxury of having good income everywhere else, then yeah, why wouldn't you just leave your money in it? You know, I, I just think the investors, the private investors as well, they're. I find they're starting to raise their rates quite rightly, where we normally raise money at sort of 8 to 10%. But I've had some people say, no, I want 11 now, I want 12, or I want from 8, I want 10, you know, as an example. So it's just happening across the board, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, um, an interesting world to be in anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah very kind of clearly defined, you know, the single lets and invest and the football is just, it seems very kind of, um clean it's not like all mi mixed up with all different strategies and different types of investors yeah. at least you, you know what you're working with so yeah and um so i'm not sure how many footballers we've got who listen to this podcast oh, I don't um, know. but if anyone um wants to obviously follow what you're doing because i know you you're really good on social media and posting all your what's going on with um your refurbs as well and keeping up to date because obviously you've got your um fingers in lots of pies and your finger on the pulse of what is going on with doing so many projects at once so um where can people find out more about what you're up to i oh, appreciate it. well i don't think i'm so good at social media i need to make more effort on that but i, I only really use instagram so um okay. they can follow me on there i think it's at chris m ribeiro um underscore so I, I just document our stuff there but in the new year we're gonna start pushing that a little bit more and, and maybe get a videographer to come around and do some projects it's only me that's ever done it and and we sort of we should do a lot more. And now we're working on these apartment blocks and portfolio purchases and larger scale projects, which we come back to the basics. They're just single lets on steroids because there's multiple of them in one building. It's just that um, they're in the one place. So uh, as we talked to, it's almost like scaling up the simple stuff. It's just, it's taken for us four or five years to get to that point where we have 
three or four blocks all on the go at the same time. So I've tried to give a little bit of the insight into the single let the players side, which is just regular stuff, then refurbishments, and then now doing some larger stuff. And coming back to, I think, why I think property is such a good strategy, really, for players. So if they want to follow along, that'd be great. And um, yeah, in the next new year, hopefully I'll be able to bring out some new stuff that'll be a bit more um, interactive and interesting, fingers crossed. Brilliant. Well, we'll look out for that and um, wish you all the best for the next journey and see what happens next. For any of our uh, listeners who are not yet subscribers to the magazine, uh, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. Thanks, guys, and uh, see you soon.